Uh, I'm Jeff, if we haven't met, and uh, a couple things. One, just because Nolan kind of did the quick catch, I just want to be clear. I consider Nolan a joy and a gift, and I love him, so please don't pray for our youth pastor search. Please. <laughs> please don't do that to me. But you can play, pray for our worship pastor search. I just want to make sure that's clear. I don't want to be, you know, God's got a sense of humor, so I don't want to, let's just, let's, we're good. Let's, let's just be grateful. Um, and I will say, there's been a lot of talk just kind of behind the scenes about how the Spirit of God is moving in unexpected ways and kind of uniting themes this morning. And I did not tell Nolan much about my sermon at all, um, but if the Spirit of God kind of stirred in your heart while he was praying, <laughs> you're really ready for the sermon. You really set the, you set the table for us well, Nolan, so thanks. I'm going to start with, I was reading, I read this, it's an older book, but... Uh, not that old, but it was kind of fun to read through. And I'm just going to read a little section as we get into our text this morning. The author writes, A few years ago, the dominant interest of six-year-olds in the United States was a group of teenage superheroes called the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. The shows were an unlikely hit, originally produced on a very low budget in Japan and then badly dubbed into English. And the key to the show's appeal was the character's ability to morph. Ordinarily, they were normal adolescents, but as needed, they could access a power beyond themselves to become martial arts heroes for justice. Their rallying cry in moments of crisis was, it's morphing time. And they would be transformed with the ability to do extraordinary things. The show became such a huge hit that the term morph became a standard phrase in many circles. And the author says, around our house, if someone was in need of serious attitude adjustment, we would say it's morphing time. Of course, it's not just six-year-olds who want to morph. The desire for transformation lies deep in every human heart. This is by why people enter therapy, join health clubs, get into recovery groups, read self-help books, attend motivational seminars, and make New Year's resolutions. The possibility of transformation is the essence of hope. Psychologist Aaron Beck says that the single belief most toxic to a relationship is the belief that the other person cannot change. As we talk about frequently at Crossview, the primary goal of spiritual life is human transformation. When morphing happens, I don't just do the things Jesus would have done. I, I find myself wanting to do them. They appeal to me. They make sense. I don't just go around trying to do right things. I become the right sort of person. I'm free to choose good. It's morphing time. And the author then says this. To help people remember this, I developed a little liturgy at our church, at a church I served. He said, I would say to the congregation, it's morphing time, and they would reply, we shall morph indeed. <laughs> Which I think we're going to do before communion. I just got to do that. I like it. We shall morph indeed. So what we're going to do today, as we're kind of, we're nearing the end of Deuteronomy, we have this week and at least one more week, maybe two more weeks, it kind of depends on what the Holy Spirit and I talk about up until Tuesday of next week, where we land. But um, we, got a, we got a couple, we got some flexibility because it's Lent and we're heading into Easter. But what we're going to do today is follow the thread of an ancient metaphor of morphing. 
that Moses gives us. And it's a seed of hope at the beginning of the Bible. And it's good news. Actually, even just working and reworking and just even preparing this morning to preach this morning, I think this is a good news message. And my, my heart was lifted. I hope it's good news for you. I hope you hear good news. I hope your heart is lifted. And just, just from the story itself. I want to start in Deuteronomy 29, verse 29. If you've been with us the last few weeks, what we looked at was the blessings and the curses. Last week, the curses. And there's a lot of curses in this part of Deuteronomy. We talked about what was going on and how to understand this. But Deuteronomy 28, a lot of curses. 29, kind of a heavy chapter that the Israelites are going to experience these curses because they're not going to be able to obey the commands that God is laying before them on that day. In verse 29, I just wanted to read this. We could spend more time on this. I actually, I mean, I think I could have done a whole sermon on this. But it's an interesting transitionary verse from kind of the, the calamity that you feel in chapter 29 to this birth of hope, this seed of hope that, that as we've been kind of saying along the way, God's final word is going to be mercy. <laughs> God's final word is going to be blessing, and so we have to endure some of these curses, but then we get to kind of this opportunity to return to the Lord. So this is verse 29, end of chapter 29. I love this. The Lord our God has secrets known to no one. I love that. We are not accountable for them, but we and our children are accountable forever for all that he has revealed to us so that we may obey all the terms of these instructions. If you ever get into reading the New Testament, which I highly recommend, uh, Paul will often talk about the mysteries or the secrets. And lo and behold, I think we, that's why we could have done a whole sermon on Jesus and how he is this divine secret of the compassion and mercy of God, of how he is going to deal with this sin problem that is diagnosed over and over and over again in the Old Testament. Jesus is this secret, this mystery. And, and even not so, I mean, even Paul will celebrate that Jesus is the mystery, but then that the Gentiles are, that everyone is welcomed into the kingdom of God. That's part of the mystery. I think there's a, a little, I think Paul sometimes is really working with some of this Deuteronomy theology, but it's this transition into chapter 30, which is where we'll get into this ancient metaphor of morphing and a lot of hope and good news, I think. Uh, this is what Moses says, in the future... When you experience all these blessings and curses, I have listed for you, and listen to this, and when you are living among the nations to which the Lord your God has exiled you, Moses is already assuming they aren't going to obey, and they're going to run after other gods, and they're going to be exiled. But when this happens in the future, mercy will, God will come with mercy. Take to heart all these instructions. But, but here's part of the reason why he's setting up this metaphor, right? They haven't been able to obey over and over again. So what is going to happen that is actually going to make them able to obey? Because the Old Testament is just the cycle of, of God coming to Israel and them disobeying and failing again. And what's going to happen? Will anyone come along who actually does the heart of the Father, right? It's some of the tension. But while you're in exile, if at that time you and your children return to the Lord your God, and if you obey with all your heart and all your soul and all the commands I have given you, if you return, if you repent, then the Lord your God will restore your fortunes 
Again, his word will be mercy. He will have mercy on you and gather you back from all the nations where he has scattered you. Even though you are banished to the ends of the earth, the Lord your God will gather you from there and bring you back home. And the Lord your God will return you to the land that belonged to your ancestors. You will possess that land again, and and then he will make you even more prosperous and numerous than your ancestors. So again, it's all the work of God. It's the grace of God. God's going to be gracious. He's going to to restore us. And, And again, if you've been following along from the beginning of the Bible, there's just this renewing of the promises made to Abraham. God, God, and we're trying to see Jesus in this, right? All of God's promises are a yes and amen in Jesus. Verse 6 is where we're going to kind of hone in, and it's going to send us on a little trajectory through the biblical story. Moses says, The Lord your God will change your heart and the hearts of all your descendants so that you will love him with all your heart and soul, and so you may live. It'll be morphing time, in other words. God's going to change your heart. But, you know, I've been preaching from the New Living Translation, which I I like and I'm getting to know. That's one of the reasons I'm preaching from and I get to know it better. And what what the translators are trying to do is really help. They're trying to translate the words and the ideas. And so sometimes we'll come across these metaphors and the author's like, oh, that's going to be difficult for the modern reader to understand. And so they'll even translate the metaphor. But when they do that, and it's an important metaphor that you should know, They'll translate it for you in the text, but they'll put a little star, a little asterisk, so you drop down to the bottom. So it says the Lord your God will change your heart, but the metaphor in the Hebrew is he will circumcise your heart. He will circumcise your heart. Now, it, 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 it's introduced as a bit of a riddle. What does that mean? What, what, what is God going to do that's going to, to morph us? It's morphing time. How is he going to change us? so that we can actually obey because every time we come to him and we say, we'll do everything you've said, Lord, and we keep failing, right? Verse seven, the Lord your God will inflict all these curses on your enemies. I mean, this is a a reversal. And on those who hate and persecute you and you will again obey the Lord. Like something's gonna happen. He's gonna, I mean, and you're gonna obey and keep all his commands, the commands that Moses is giving today, which Jesus summarizes as loving God and loving neighbor. Verse 9, the Lord your God will then make you successful in everything you do, right? This idea of human flourishing. He will give you many children and numerous livestock and cause your fields to produce abundant harvest, right? This, this, it just flows out into all of creation. The Lord, I love this, the Lord will again delight in being good to you. <laughs> this theme of goodness. He, you'll, you'll, you'll hear this again as he was to your ancestors. The Lord your God will delight in you if you obey his voice and keep the commands and decrees written in this book of instruction. And if you turn to the, to the Lord your God with all your heart, this interiorization, all your heart and all your soul. All right, so Deuteronomy 31 to 10, you're getting a picture of this, this initiating work of God that is captured in the riddle of the circumcision of the heart, right? This idea that, that God is, it, it's, it's, it's attention grabbing, it's provocative. What could that be? Uh, you know, circumcision is introduced in Genesis in the story of Abraham, and we'll, we'll talk about this. It involves a cutting off. God has to cut some, something in us, has to die, has to be cut off. We'll talk about that. But even in the story of Genesis, circumcision comes kind of as an image of both judgment and mercy at the same time. 
I mean, that's all we really know in the story up to this point. But what Moses is saying, and we, we, we know this much, there's a, way, there's a way to life. We keep choosing the way to death, but there is a way to life, to God's life. He's the source of all life. But, it's, but, for, but for us to, to find this way, to live this way, it's going to require some kind of transformation of God's covenant partners that is beyond our own ability, <laughs> But it also seems to be, as Moses is walking through this, if God does his part, then somehow it will be within our human ability. If there's this movement of God's grace within us, then somehow we will want to obey. (laughs) What is this circumcision of the heart? And I'll say this here, we, I don't always bring this up, but it's present in a lot of texts, but I just happen to have two different people this week talk to me about the tension as they read through scripture of what we would say is divine sovereignty that God's in control and human responsibility and human freedom and how do we hold this tension I I just always like to say well I don't know how but you got to find a way to hold that tension (laughs) because even in these verses Moses is saying well yeah this won't happen without the work of God (laughs) but you and I also have to respond to his work I mean, that tension is just always there. And if you go too far to either side, you kind of get the biblical story distorted a little bit. You got to hold that tension. You and I can't do this without God's gracious movement. But if we don't respond, we're going to stay stuck and we're going to drift. I often say we will not drift into the Jesus way of life and love. So we respond to the movement, the goodness of God in our lives. So this cycle of failure over and over again, and Moses says, well, God's going to circumcise the heart, but, but what does that mean? And so let's just keep, I want to keep going with this in our mind. Let's keep going because part of what I wanted to do even with Deuteronomy, and, and this has become even more real to me than I thought it would be even just going through this, but to help you see how much these ideas and the story of Deuteronomy is on the minds of the rest of the biblical authors. It's really important. So Moses plants the seed, and it's a bit of a riddle, and, and, it's, and it's not really, it's not explained. But then later on in the story of Israel, especially when they actually get into the covenant curses and they are actually in exile, the prophets are going to return to this little ancient metaphor of morphing and begin to fill in some of the secrets of the mercy and compassion of God, <laughs> some of the mysteries. So we'll look at Jeremiah and Ezekiel. These are two very, well, we'll look at two very famous passages, but, but just so you know that this is even on their minds, in Jeremiah 4.4, kind of the beginning, Jeremiah is prophesying at the time when the Babylonians are going to come in and destroy the city and the temple And Jeremiah is one of these voices who's like, uh, don't be surprised by this and don't fight it because we deserve this because we broke those covenant curses back in Deuteronomy. We disobeyed and this is, God said, Moses said it was going to happen, it's happening. So don't be surprised. But in Jeremiah 4, 4, he says, oh, people of Judah and Jerusalem, surrender your pride and your power. Change your hearts before the Lord, or my anger will burn like an unquenchable fire because of all your sins. Again, another asterisk. Change your hearts before the Lord, literally in the Hebrew. Circumcise yourselves to the Lord and take away the foreskins of your hearts. 
I mean, these prophets get a little edgy with their language, don't they? It's a little edgy. It's a little edgy. But they're trying to get your attention. Now, that's kind of the, the harder part. What we're focusing in on is this metaphor of transformation, of morphing. And so let's, I told you it's a good news message. Jeremiah is going to pick up this idea and begin to help us see what does it look like when God will circumcise our hearts? What does that mean? Very, very famous passage, Jeremiah 31, 31. The day is coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and Judah. This covenant will not be like the one I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and brought them out of the land of Egypt. They broke that covenant. I mean, that was a good covenant, but they broke that covenant. Even though I was faithful, they were unfaithful. I love them as a husband loves his wife, says the Lord. But here's the new covenant I will make with the people of Israel after those days, says the Lord. And he begins, he doesn't use the language of circumcise the heart, but he begins to unpack this. I will put my instructions deep within them. And I will write them on their hearts. And I will be their God and they will be my people. And they will not need to teach their neighbors, nor will they need to teach their relatives, saying, you should know the Lord for everyone, from the least to the greatest, will know me already, says the Lord. And I will forgive their wickedness. And I will never again remember their sins. Now, still not crystal clear. Again, when we go reading the Old Testament with Jesus as our guide, we're starting to get a, a clearer picture because some of the language is, is really easy to access for us with Jeremiah. That's why it's such a famous passage. But you're starting to see how this, this little seed of hope that Moses planted at the beginning of the story is starting to take root and is starting to blossom a little bit. But let me read a little bit more in Jeremiah. I was, I was spending a little bit more time in Jeremiah, and I, I read these verses this week. I just want to read them because I, this is good news. I mean, this was, it kind of felt like this filled, this filled me up a little bit with life. Uh, chapter 32, Jeremiah, verse 37. I will certainly bring my people back again from all the countries where I will scatter them in my fury. Again, this is what Moses said would happen if they disobey. It happens, but again, God's final word is gonna be mercy. That's what we're reading in Deuteronomy 10. I will bring them back to this very city and let them live in peace and safety. And then they will be my people. And here you hear this refrain. It's a very covenantal phrase. They will be my people and I will be their God. The heart of all of this is relationship. And I will give them one heart and one purpose to worship me forever for their own good and for the good of all their descendants. Again, this is God is looking out for our good. And I will make an everlasting covenant with them. And I want you to hear this. Because some of you are in a season of life where it feels like God is very silent. And I get it because we, I mean, honestly, this is kind of a part of the pilgrim's journey of following God, following Jesus. Uh, it's been talked about in our past as the dark night of the soul. You go through these seasons where it seems like God is so silent and is he, is he doing anything? But, but I really believe he's at work. Just sometimes God's behind us and we just don't see what he's doing, right? But hear this, hear this. This is, this is God. I will never stop doing good for them. I mean, maybe that's something to memorize. Jeremiah 32, verse 40. I will make an everlasting covenant with them, and I will never stop doing good for them. It may look like God has stopped doing good, but God, if you trust in this God, he is telling you, he will never stop. He will 
never stop. I will put a desire in their hearts to worship me and they will never leave me. Again, this is that transformation that we can't do for ourselves, but he's, he's going to cut away some things that need to die. I will find joy doing good for them and I will, fa- and, and will faithfully and wholeheartedly replant them in this land. And listen to that language. Replant them. I want you to imagine you're being replanted and now you have a chance for your roots to grow deep into something. What will your roots grow deep into? Just hold on to that question. This is what the Lord says. Just as I have brought all these calamities on them, so I will do all the good I have promised them. All right, so again, it's in the, Bib- in the Old Testament, because the Old Testament is kind of like a story without an ending, and it's ambiguous, but this riddle is unfolding. Now, we know that, again, all of God's promises are yes and amen in Jesus, but we're getting there. How about Ezekiel chapter 36, another prophet who grabs on to this ancient metaphor of morphing, another very, very famous passage from the Old Testament. I will gather you up from all the nations and bring you home again to your land. And so even here, you're seeing that the theme of exile that is introduced in Deuteronomy is actually a bigger deal than sometimes we understand. It's really, really important to the narrative of Scripture. And it becomes really important in the time of Jesus because, what did I read actually just a second ago in Jeremiah? I'll bring you back and you'll have peace and safety. It's stuff like that. I'll do everything I said I would do. It's stuff like that. People were living in Jesus' day, returned from the exile of Babylon, but Rome was still in control. And they were still being oppressed by the Romans. And so there was a sense, we're back from exile, but are we? Have we really returned? Honestly, that's why the Old Testament just kind of ends. What is the true return from exile? Uh, Verse 25, then I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. This is, again, is the work of God. You can't do, you can't clean. Your filth will be washed away. And and even here, you kind of, you will no longer worship idols. You got into this mess because you ran after all these false gods. Well, you'll you'll just, God will move and you'll understand this is all I want is to, to know you, Jesus. And here he's back to this metaphor of a circumcised heart. He's gonna help, I will give you a new heart. And I will put a new spirit in you, the spirit of the living God, which again, we, we sang, we invited the Holy Spirit. We, we sing that because we understand now that the Holy Spirit has been poured out. Ezekiel is like looking forward to this day. God's spirit. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart because part of it needs to be cut away and die. And I will give you a tender, I'll, I'll cut out the stone so your heart is tender and renewed and you're open to my leading. I will put my spirit, my my very presence in you. You'll become like a temple of the presence of the living God. And you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey my regulations. You will live in Israel, the land I gave your ancestors long ago. You will be my people and I will be your God. So you're feeling some of the story and you're seeing how this idea that Moses just kind of throws in there in chapter 10, or chapter 30. Actually, I think he says it in chapter 10 too. That's why I keep saying that. But chapter 30 is what we're reading, sorry. He throws it in there and, and these prophets pick this up and they run with it. And the New Testament authors are gonna run with this. 
There's so many passages that we could have read together to help like, make it crystal clear where Jesus connects with all of this. But I, I just kept returning to Colossians. Love Colossians. Colossians chapter 2. Let me read the first couple verses. Let it sit in a little bit. I have a couple things I want to say. And then we'll keep reading a little bit more. And it'll become clearer and clearer why I'm reading from Colossians. Paul writes this, And now, just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. (laughs) I want that to kind of reverberate in your minds a little bit too, because we're going to come back to this idea of returning to the Lord, of repenting. It's Lent, and we're going to talk about repenting as we prepare for communion this morning. But, But just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. And then look at verse 7. This is why I kind of stopped when, it talks about when the prophets talk about being replanted. And I said, what are you going to be planted in? Well, what does Paul say? Let your roots grow down into him. <laughs> be planted in Christ. I mean, just, just, and, and just, just as a healthy plant, like the roots just keep going deeper and deeper and farther and farther into good soil. You just, just let those continue to follow. Just continue to, to get a strong foundation. Let your lives be built on Jesus. And then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught as a disciple and you will overflow with thankfulness. You will be so grateful for what Jesus has done. And what have we said all the way through Deuteronomy with all this obey, 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 obey language? You and I obey out of gratitude because we've been saved. <laughs> And we know the one who is commanding us is the one who has laid down his life out of love for us to rescue us and deliver us. So we don't have to do what he says. We get to. We get to learn the way of life from the God who called us into existence. Let me just say a few things here and then we'll keep reading. But I was actually, one of the guys I was reading this week actually quoted another guy that I absolutely love who passed away recently. And this is what he said, to know Christ is to experience the grace of coming home, even if you never knew you already had a home, and to know the one who's always loved you. To know Christ is to experience the grace of coming home, even if you never knew you already had a home, and to know the one who's always loved you. As you read through the biblical story and you get into the New Testament, the New Testament authors, I think Mark may go the farthest with this in the Gospels, but the New Testament authors want you to see that the exile ends because Jesus has come. Because we find our true home in the eternal embrace of the Father. What does Jesus say in John 14? I go and prepare a place for you. Where? In the eternal embrace of the Father. That's the end of your exile. That's the end of my exile. That's the end of our running away from God and our running to our truest home, knowing our truest selves in the loving embrace of the Father. And Paul says, you must continue to follow. I want to pause and add a little word of caution here. And I, I even wrote down, I want, to, I want us to beware of a spirit of complacency. I didn't tell Nolan that when he prayed his prayer at the beginning of the sermon. But one of the great dangers that arises when we talk about authentic transformation in Christ is that you and I can become content to settle for what I might call pseudo-transformation. 
It's not the full morphing time. We stop expecting that we will progressively become the way Jesus would be if he were in our place. We don't assume that each year would find us a more compassionate, joyful, gracious, winsome personality. We don't anticipate that we are on the way to becoming a source of delight and courtesy who overflow with rivers of living water. Even more troubling than our lack of change may be the fact that we aren't surprised by it. It's as if we expect that parts of our soul will remain withered and sour year after year, decade after decade, and we become complacent. We aren't bothered that we aren't growing. (laughs) But what, what God is inviting us into is a circumcision of the heart, a removal of that stony heart that makes us stubborn and obstinate, and a movement of the Spirit. Now, it's a journey. But, it, but it's a journey that you and I, we have to, we cling to that hope. We cling to that hope that you and I can be changed and that we can look more like Jesus. And we cling to that hope that the people sitting around us can change. I mean, I, I really think that's one of the gifts of being in a church. You and I need people, especially in our worst days. We need people who, by the grace of God, can look at us with the compassionate eyes of Jesus and say, I love you but you can be more than you are today. There's more to you. Don't settle for this. There's a whole ray of sunshine that God wants to pour out on you to awaken you to a whole new way of being. And we do this together. We do this for one another. We believe in one another. Grace and truth on the journey. We continue to follow Jesus. Let's keep reading. And I actually might, I might come back to this passage in our series after Easter. I actually think this fits well in what I'm going to do. But don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that comes from human thinking. <laughs> I love that. And from the spiritual powers of this world rather than from Christ. And this is basically the gospel in a nutshell. For in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body. God has revealed himself to humanity through the person of Jesus And because of this, you also are complete. You're complete through your union with Christ. Through Christ, you are united with God. Christ is the head over every... I told you there's a lot of good news. Here, this is good news. This is good news for you and me. Through Christ Jesus, even though we've been obstinate, we are connected to the Father. And here we go. Here, we're back to this language from Moses. When you came to Christ, you were circumcised, but not by a physical procedure. Christ performed a spiritual circumcision, the cutting of way of your sinful nature. Now we're what Moses gave us a little riddle about years and years and years ago. Now, I mean, all these riddles that come up in the Old Testament find their clarity. Every promise finds its yes and amen in Jesus. For you were buried with Christ when you were baptized, and with him you were raised to a new new life because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. Paul is saying, so it's not just cutting away part of your skin. No, actually, it's cutting away a, a way of life that leads to death. And it's being resurrected to a new kind of life. You were dead because of your sins and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. But you've been, your heart's been circumcised in Christ. God made you alive with Christ. He forgave all your sins. And this is good news. He canceled the record of the charges against us, and he took it away by nailing it to the cross. Amen. 
And in this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. In other words, all the false gods that you and I run after on the cross, we see what they do to innocent humanity. And they're put to shame. That's what they do, and that's what they want to do. They promise us life, but they deliver death. And on the cross is when we finally come to our senses and say, why am I following these other gods? Because they're leading me to death. And only this God is a God who will lay his life down for me. Only this God is a God of love and mercy and forgiveness. Actually, going through all of this, I really do think when, if you read through Paul, he will talk a lot about the flesh and the spirit. I actually think he's just working into this metaphor of circumcision of the hearts when he talks about the flesh and its obstinates and why it needs to die. I mean, he's just, again, there's so much Deuteronomy theology in the New Testament if you're paying attention. It's a removal. It's a cutting away. Something has to die. Something has to be cut off. Without the intervention from God to circumcise human hearts, we would never be able to obey our way to true life in him. But there is a way to this life that God offers, and it's going to require some kind of human transformation. It's morphing time. So our response, right? God has already acted in Jesus on the cross. He's already taken our place and died for our sins. And the Spirit of God is here inviting us into this life, inviting us to not settle, to not be complacent. But even, even if you accepted Jesus years and years ago, Paul says, continue following him. Come as you are, but don't stay there. Don't stay where you are. Don't, don't settle for shallow roots. No, go deep into the life of God. And so, again, back to Deuteronomy 30, our response is to turn around, is to return to the Lord. We've been chasing after false gods, but his mercy gets the last word if we respond and receive his mercy. So sometimes we need to recover the word repentance. It's fallen out of favor and carries some baggage. But repentance is not a dour word invoking self-hatred. It's far from it. Repentance is a tremendous word of hope. It's a tremendous word of hope. Because the philosophy of repentance is that you and I can change. We can change. We don't have to stay stuck in that which is so deeply dysfunctional in our lives. We can change. The possibility of repentance saves us from the despair that what has been is what will be and there is nothing new. In Christ, the mercies are new every morning if you wake up to receive them and see them. And when we repent, we rethink the trajectory that our life is on, and if need be, we make the necessary adjustments that can get us back on the right path, the path that leads to life. Do you want to be on the right path that leads to life? Well, then we repent it's that course correction. We get our trajectory right again. And in the season of Lent, we're reminded that this road does not lead to death in the end. It, it leads kind of to death, but through death into the promise of new life in Jesus. We're in the season of Lent, but we're headed to Easter. We're not going to lose sight of where the story is going. 
We're headed for Easter and the promise of new life, but it goes through death. There's a, a circumcision, there's a, a cutting away, but that's how we get to the new life. Can you be honest this morning that there are some things in your life that would be better off dead? Can you be honest with yourself and with God this morning? Have you had moments where the word of the Lord just, just, just hits you hard? I've had moments where I've been struck by the word of the Lord, just almost like, like I'm sitting with Jesus and it's almost like this incriminating surveillance video of me a day ago or an hour ago or a week ago. It's just, it just comes out of nowhere, but it, the word of the Lord is just coming and convicting me. Jeff, if you stay on this trajectory, it's going to lead to death and I'm inviting you. I'm inviting you into life. Do you remember being struck by the word of the Lord? And, and sometimes it hurts, right? Like one of the things we say here across you is you can't go around your pain. You got to go through it. God is with you in the valley of the shadow of death. Something in you needs to be cut away. Something in you needs to be broken. Sometimes the good physician will come and break a bone because he needs to reset it. If he, doesn't, if he doesn't break it and reset it, it's going to grow wrong and you'll be malformed. So he breaks the bone. And we're struck by the word of the Lord. But it's so he can reset it. He's got to cut something away. You know, the enemy, the devil, the accuser will come to you and he says, oh, no, nothing needs to change. You're perfect just the way you are. Nothing needs to change. <laughs> but God comes to you in moments of mercy and invites you to repent. Return to the Lord. Choose a new trajectory. The end is not the wounding of God's word in your life. We're headed towards Easter. And as Paul says, the journey of knowing Jesus Christ is continuing. It's ever ongoing. You don't get to say that you've got it all down now. <laughs> you don't need to say that you have Jesus all known. and You've got him all figured out because you don't. And it scares me to think what would have happened in my life if 20 years ago I had said that I know everything I need to know about Jesus. I just, I've, got, I've got this whole Jesus thing taken care of and now I can move on to the next part of my life. I can just tell you that, that nothing would be the same. I know Jesus deeper and clearer and fuller now than I did 20 years ago. And the good news for you, since I'm serving as a pastor in our church family, is that I'm more excited about Jesus than I've ever been. Because he's amazing, and there's no one like him. But the journey is everything. Where we start with Jesus is just where we start. It's not where we end with Jesus. It's just where we start. To follow Christ into true life now, you also have to learn to die now. Some things have to be cut off. Live into the circumcision of this ancient metaphor. Live into it. Some carnality in you has to die, but relax and praise God because that's Lent. That's what Lent's about. The church has been practicing Lent for 2,000 years. <laughs> it's a time for these things to die so that we can be full participants in the resurrection life of Christ Jesus so that our roots can go deep into the soil that is Jesus. And that's good news, right? Amen? You hear it? There's some hope in that. All right, let's pray. God, now what we want to do is quiet our hearts. 
It's a gift. It's a gift to enter into a time of communion. And I think it's appropriate that we spend a few minutes just just talking about repentance, thinking about repentance, but hopefully hearing it in a way that is hopeful and good news. Because this this is a good moment. Your death on the cross, an ugly moment. (laughs) But the way you used even the ugliest of all moments to bring about our salvation and to rescue, we don't even know what to say other than thank you. I think as we just thank you, Jesus, and we praise you, Lord. And we want to recognize that if you are, if we're being struck by the word of the Lord this morning, if that surveillance video is playing in our minds and the Holy Spirit is bringing to mind some things, it's it's just clear to us. Actually, we knew coming in and we were trying to avoid it and push it, but it's just so crystal clear to us right now. Something we need to change. We don't want to be timid. We don't want to fall into self-hatred. We want to respond to the good news. What have we said before? What do your parables teach us, Jesus? That every time a sinner repents, there's a party in heaven. Jesus, I pray because of what's happening right now here at Crossview, that parties are breaking out all over heaven. That repentant sinners are coming before you saying, all right, I want to continue following you. And I'm on the wrong trajectory. And so we confess our sins right now to you, Jesus. And we prepare with great excitement to receive a way forward, a way through this, a way out of this into life, a way through death into life. Prepare our hearts to joyfully receive your grace and your forgiveness. In your name we pray, amen.